Today is the first weekend that we get together as a church family in 2016, and we're excited about it. As like a lot of y'all, Julie and I and our family got some time off between Christmas and New Year's, and part of what we did during that time away was we got to celebrate a really special milestone for our family. We got to celebrate the first wedding of the next generation in our family, Julie's cousin, Ed Young and his wife Lisa celebrated the marriage of their daughter Lori as she married Sam Kelly. We got to go to the wedding. I actually got to perform the wedding, which was a little bit nerve-wracking because there was a room full of pastors at this wedding. Lori's dad, Ed, is a pastor. Her cousin, Ben. Her cousin, Cliff. Her grandfather, as she refers to him as Goosey, was my pastor growing up in Houston, Dr. Edwin Young, sitting there on the front row. I mean, it was like, I felt like I was like doing PhD oral arguments or something. I mean, it was a little bit of pressure on your Pastor Mac. But not only was Laurie's side of the family full of pastors, Sam Kelly, her new husband, comes from a pastor's family. His mom and dad, um, (laughs) golly, His mom and dad are pastors in Virginia Beach. Julie, what's their names? Steve and Sharon Sharon Kelly. They're great people. I just blanked. (laughs) Thanks, honey. But Steve and Sharon are awesome people, and they pastor a great church, the Wave Church. I remember the church, but I didn't remember their names. Um, But they're great people. And so at this wedding, it was really cool. Julie and I were talking after the fact. It was amazing to be able to gather together and celebrate so freely because Sam and Laurie are so perfectly matched, not only because they come from pastor's kids' homes, but because they are genuinely called together by God in the season. And man, it's exciting to see what's going to be in their marriage going forth. I think we have a picture from their wedding as they kind of came down the aisle um, after the ceremony there's Sam. Is that a great picture right there? Now, I want you to, I know you look at this picture and you're like, oh, bless their hearts. They're just, if they were just more attractive as a couple. But they really do have good personalities. I want you to know that. But they're, they're an awesome, awesome young couple that we're excited to pray for and see what God's going to do in and through their marriage. But I want to keep this picture up because I, I thought, as I saw this picture, how sweet this is because... Right now, in, in, when this picture was snapped, they are so clueless. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they have no idea what's coming in marriage. And, and it's really sweet because they're so excited. And, and I thought about, you know, what's really interesting about this picture is Sam and Laurie can't know at this moment that this moment is as easy as marriage will ever be. That's as easy as it's ever going to get for them. <laughs> I mean, in this moment, look, Sam, Sam's clean. I did, the, I did the ceremony, so I can tell you he took a mint right before the ceremony began, and, and it was beautiful, and Laurie came down, and Sam you know, teared up and, and started to cry because, again, as you know, real men cry, and it was a beautiful moment, and, and I know that they were clueless. I, I know that this is as easy as their marriage is ever going to get because of a different moment, very, very similar to it. Show us this next picture, please. Yeah. And I know what you're thinking right now, and yes, Julie and I did get married at 15, but we had parental permission, so it was okay. 
Baby, were we young? Whoa, you were, you, mm. Anyway, that was the day that we got married. And we had no idea that that moment was as easy as it was ever going to get. Now, let me quickly say, that doesn't mean that that's as good as it was ever going to get. Because the fact of the matter is, in the ensuing 24 years, it's gotten even better. But it has never been that easy. And I thought about that moment as I was thinking about launching into this new year, 2016. And as God laid on my heart and is leading our church to declare this the year of living fearlessly, I thought about that moment because... For the first seven years of our marriage, I had a very real subterranean fear that most of the time I wasn't even aware of. And my fear was during those early years of marriage that because I was the product of a divorced home, because my mom and dad had divorced after 18 years of marriage, I feared that something inside of me, maybe genetically or chemically or biologically, would cause me to do the same thing that my dad had done. That after a certain number of years, whether it was 18 or 15 or 20, that I would hit the eject button and and blow up the family and call a do-over. But at about year seven or eight, I realized that that was not the case. I realized that marriage is really simple. Tell your neighbor right now, marriage is simple. Now, not all of you believe that, but let me say this. I didn't say that marriage is easy, but it's really simple. You know, for 24 years, every time that I have put Julie's wants, needs, and desires above my own, and I've strived to be the husband God's called me to be and to love her as Christ loves the church, every time I've done that, things just work better. Every time, every time I've remembered what her uncle, my pastor, said at our wedding to be kind to one another, forgiving one another just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. Every time I've done that, it's worked really, really well. But man, it is hard to do. It is tough. It is difficult to do that simple kind of marriage. And I thought about how that fear early on in our marriage affected so many of the decisions that I made as a young husband, as a young father. And I realized that it's not only in terms of marriage, but throughout our lives, our fears impact everything. Whether we acknowledge them or we're even aware of them, we've all got fear. We've all got things in our lives that we worry about. Some of us have anxieties that we stress over. And that doesn't mean that they're not real. But it means that there is a way to live beyond those fears. And that's what we're about over the next few weeks as a church family. What I've discovered from my own life, but also from talking to so many other people and from godly counsel, is that God has got something much, much greater for us in life than living constrained, hemmed in, and boxed in by our fears. I want you right now, with New Year's passion and enthusiasm, 
to tell your neighbor, don't be afraid. That's good. That's really good. Look at what the Bible says. The Bible says this in 1 John chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles, go to 1 John. Now, 1 John, interestingly enough, 1 John is actually the second John of the New Testament because there's one in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's different. Then all the way towards the end, right before you get to Revelation, you've got the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. We're in 1st John. 1st John chapter 4. The Bible says something so profound, but so, so true. Look at what it says. There is no fear. Say no fear. No fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Now, that's what the Bible says. So it's true. That's, that's real. But I, I, I got a, what I think was a really special lesson on this early in my career as a father. Now, when Emily was about two or three years old, our daughter, she hated bedtime. How many of you parents have ever wrestled over the issue of bedtime? Let me just see a show of hands today. Thank you. Hands are going up all over the room. Yes. Now, this in our home was a real challenge. Joseph loved bedtime. You'd carry him into his room when he was a little guy, and he would break the plane of his door and smile and dive at the crib. He loved nap time. Loved it. Emily, not so much. And as she grew up and grew out of the nap time, she hated going to bed at night. And so we had these these battle royales at night, like, oh, no, you will go to bed. And I was like, honey, don't talk to her that way. <laughs> I'm just kidding. This was, this was my job. And so we had these, these conflicts over and over and over again. But one night, Emily had gone to bed. And in the middle of the night, she woke up screaming, screaming, and woke me up upstairs. Their, their rooms were downstairs at the time in the house where we lived. And so I went down about 28 steps of stairs and about three strides and went running into her room. And I could tell that she was having a night terror. She was having a nightmare of some sort. And, and, I, and, I, and I grabbed her and I said, Emily, Emily, it's okay, baby. Emily. And so I knew she was still asleep, so I had to wake her up. And I, I had to wake her up so that she could understand what was real. And I grabbed her. I said, Emily, Emily, it's Daddy. You're okay. You're okay. And, and she woke up, and, and, she, and she realized what was going on, and she was having a nightmare. And then in her awake mind, the nightmare became real again, and she just started sobbing. And, and, and I got to be the one to, to comfort her. I, I got to be the one to, to hold her. By this time, Julie was beginning to stir. <laughs> See, that's just part of Julie's charm, man. She sleeps the sleep of a good conscience, which means she can sleep through a train wreck. But I got to be the one. <laughs> I got to be the one to hold Emily, and I can say, hey, you're okay. Daddy's got you. There's nobody here. It's just you and me. You're totally safe. It's okay. 
Now, of all the things that, that I've gotten to do as a dad, that Julie and I have gotten to do as mom and dad, I'm going to tell you something. That night, I would give anything, I would give anything for Emily to have never had that fear that she felt in that night terror. But to get to be the one who comforted her, to get to be the one who told her it was okay, that reality was safer and better than what she was fearing in that nightmare, of all the things I've gotten to do, I'm going to tell you, that's pretty close to the top of the list. And I think, I think that that's how God views his kids. I think, I think that God wants us to run to him when we're afraid. I think that God wants us to say that instead of making another purchase because we're afraid of not keeping up with the Joneses, instead of, instead of being afraid for our kids' future and being so concerned about their self-esteem that we rob them of the self-confidence of learning how to rebound and fail, that instead of maybe taking another drink to take the edge off or finding another chemical to escape the pain or the fear, if, if, he, if we would let him comfort us and show us what's real, then our, our fears and our anxieties would, would be soothed. They'd be addressed. Doesn't mean that we'd act like, oh, la, 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 everything's fine. But it means that they'd be addressed and, and taken care of by the one who can show us what's real. Because most of the stuff that I get fearful about, most of the stuff that I get anxious about, hasn't even happened. Hasn't even happened yet. Now, that does, that's not to say that it won't ever happen, but it means that it hasn't yet. And so as we launch a new year, what if, what if we were to truly live fearlessly, to truly live in this promise that perfect love drives out fear? Perfect love, the only one who can give us that perfect love is God. And look at what Jesus said about, about his brand of love in, in John chapter 15. John chapter 15, immediately before his arrest and trial and crucifixion and resurrection, Jesus said this. He said, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You see, that's what Jesus did. Jesus laid down his life for you and, and for me. Jesus. Jesus laid down his life. That, that means... On this first Sunday of 2016, that Jesus is different. Jesus is different from any other world leader, spiritual teacher, guru that you can even think of. Jesus is different. Don't buy the lie that all religions are the same because Jesus is different. Jesus laid down his life for you. He laid it down for me. He went to that cross willingly, knowingly. He, he laid it down. So if you ever wonder, how much does God love me? What is this thing all about? You can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus laid down his life. And isn't it interesting that Jesus uses the term friend? He lays down his life for his friends. Friends. You. Me. 
And when we start to understand that kind of love, that perfection of love, it starts to put our our fears, our anxieties in perspective. Again, I'm not saying they're not real. They are. But perspective is everything. Real quickly, think about the foundations of fear. where, Where are our fears rooted? Well, I think the first foundation of fear is is uncertainty. We we get afraid of the things we don't know about. There's the future, the uncertainty. There's a lot that we don't know. And so our tendency, if we forget about the perfect love of God or if we get distracted from that perfect love, our tendency is to focus on the uncertainty. I don't know. What what if I... What if I'm going to be alone? What if, what if I don't have enough? What if I don't? It's that uncertainty that creates a lot of fear and anxiety. The second uncertainty is, as I said, it can be very real. It's our woundedness. Sometimes we're, we're fearful because of the ways we've been hurt and scarred in the past. And to be sure, we live in a fallen world where people like you and I make choices that hurt. And, and sometimes those choices are completely completely independent of anything that we've done, but we still bear scars. We still have wounds from choices that other people have made. And so because of the scars from the past, we're fearful of people in the present or in the future. And so we, we build those walls and we, we insulate ourselves and we, we keep people at arm's length because of our woundedness. Also, I think one of the biggest factors in our fear is reactiveness. Reactiveness. We, we let life happen to us. I, instead of charging toward a vision and a calling that God's placed on our lives, we let life happen. We are reactive. We're just kind of here watching things go on. When I was a kid growing up in Houston one day, my brothers and I were throwing a baseball in the backyard, and um, my brother Pat didn't catch it. And it broke a window in our house. Now, the fact that it sailed about six or eight feet over his head is not relevant to the story that I'm telling you right now. But he didn't catch it. And I went through the front, it went through the window in the back of the house, and I knew my mom was going to want an explanation. So I tried to head her off at the pass, and I ran inside, and I said the following, Mom, a window broke. See, even as kids, we are masterful, masterful. A window broke. And my mom said, really? A window broke? How'd that happen? Pat didn't catch the ball. So Pat didn't catch the ball and a window just spontaneously combusted and broke. Well, Mac, who threw the ball? Mom, that's not relevant. The point is a window broke. But you see... It wasn't my fault. I I didn't want to say I did it because then I'd have to deal with the consequences, right? But isn't it funny how personal responsibility for our behavior and our choices and our actions and our words and our relationships and our work, personal responsibility gives us hope, gives us control of the environment around us to the degree to which we can control it. Now, there will always be things that happen outside of our control. But when we take responsibility and we are proactive, 
watch the fear dissipate. Watch the fear dissolve. And then there's one more foundation of fear that I want to just mention. And that is self-reliance. Self-reliance. Now there's a difference between personal responsibility and self-reliance. Self-reliance says, I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. Pulled myself up by the bootstraps. I got this. But there's always something in the back of our minds, in the back of our hearts, asking the question, what if? What, what if you're not enough? What if you're not strong enough, wealthy enough, powerful enough to handle every contingency of life? Because guess what? We're not strong enough, wealthy enough, powerful enough to handle every contingency of life. That is the echo of eternity that God's placed in our hearts. We know we need what some people refer to as a higher power. <laughs> but what you and I now know is the perfect love of a perfect God. We need that. And so self-reliance, when we fail to trust God, when we fail to rely upon him, that creates anxiety. That creates fear. Now, how do you defeat fear? Because it'd be one thing to say, well, perfect love drives out fear. But, but look at how the Bible does this. Because that's kind of the bottom line in 1 John 4, 18. But how he gets there, I think, is more fascinating than that. Look at this. 1 John 4, 16 says, the trust in God terminates fear. When you place your trust in God, when you choose to trust God, you begin to terminate fear. Look at this. And so we know, we, we know it, and we rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. God is love. So when you rely on that love, when you trust in the love of God, then you start to really and truly understand that everything is going to be okay. Now, how you get there is a whole other conversation. But by God's grace, by God's sovereignty in his power, he causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Now, there's a very important caveat that has to be issued here. Go back to this verse here real quickly. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. If you're not careful, this verse can, can allow you to lapse into what I would call bumper sticker theology. Bumper sticker theology just means it sounds really good, but it's not true and it doesn't work. Other than that, it's great. Check this out. It'd be really tempting to, to read this and say, God is love, man. Whoever lives in love, dude, lives in God, man, and God in them. All right. Hang out. It's cool. So if I just, if I just love people, man, then I'm in God. Yeah. It's 
cool. It's, it's, it's peace. It's far out. It's strawberry fields forever, rainbows and unicorns. Here we go, man. It's awesome. Except for one little problem. God is love. You and I don't get to define what love is. God defines what love is. To know and rely on the love of God means that you experience it. You receive it from God as he dictates, as he describes it, as he expresses it. And you know that, you experience that in Christ. And then you live it out. You actually go and do it. So it's one thing to say, well, I, I trust God and I, and I love, but it's entirely another to rely on God, to declare your dependence upon God. Check this out, number two. Not only does trust in God terminate fear, but work for God diffuses fear. Working for God, doing God's stuff in your family, in the marketplace, at school, when you work out, when you drive down the road, doing the work of God diffuses fear. Check this out. This is how love is made complete among us so that we'll have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. We are like Jesus. Now, that means that we work like Jesus worked. We live like Jesus lived. We speak like Jesus spoke. We love like Jesus loved. In short, folks, we work. Love, according to God, is not an emotion. Love is actively chasing down the good of other people. In the Old Testament, there's a great word that is pronounced chesed. It's a Hebrew word. Say chesed. It's this kind of cold weather. You may have a little phlegm that you get to hork up when you say this. Chesed. Say it again like you mean it. Chesed. Chesed is loving kindness. Now that is not just a sweet sentiment. Loving kindness in the Hebrew word means something that pursues those that it is going after. The loving kindness of God pursues you. The loving kindness of God pursues me. So if I'm going to love like Jesus loves, I'm going to pursue the good of other people. I'm going after it. I'm going to work for other people's good. For God. The work for God diffuses fear. And then number three, peace with God replaces fear. Peace with God. As we've said, there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. You see, a lot of people, for a lot of different reasons, believe that God is primarily interested in punishing you. God's primarily interested in loving you, in you loving him. He's created you so that your life works best. My life works best when we love him. And when we start to 
embrace that, we start to experience the peace with God that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again to provide. The peace of God that surpasses understanding. You, you can't explain it, but you can absolutely experience it. And, and that begins to replace the fear and the anxiety. When you understand, I'm made right with God by Jesus. Jesus is the one who, who makes us right with God. When I'm right with God, I can handle just about everything else that comes along. That doesn't mean we don't have bad days. That doesn't mean that bad things don't happen. But it means that it gives us a perspective that begins to replace the fear that can impact and drive so many of our choices, so many of our actions. And then number four, love from God eradicates fear. Love from God eradicates fear. Look at 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. The reason you and I are even capable of love, the reason you and I are even capable of knowing about love and desiring it is because God loved us first. Remember, God is love. Whatever you want to believe about God, start there. That's the essence of his personality. God is love. So that means that everything he does is an expression of his character, of his personality. So because he is love, then everything he does reflects that. What was the first thing God did? In the beginning, God created. God created. So the created order is from God, is an expression of his love. That's why... After every stage of creation, God said, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then he made man. He made man, and man was alone there before God, and God said, this isn't good. (laughs) I'm I'm looking at a male, and and he's going to need help. And so God created a completer, Ezra Konegda, the the helper who completes is the best way to, to, to translate that. And God made woman. And in male and female, in the image of God, he created them. And God said, it is good. He created you as an expression of love. You are a walking billboard. I'm a walking billboard for the love of God. And along the way, we either represent him accurately or inaccurately. But the more accurately we represent the God who loved us enough to create us and we engage with him in relationship through Jesus, the less fear we're hampered by, we're hamstrung by, the less fear dominates our lives, the less anxiety chokes out the life that is truly life the more we love him the more his love drives out fear i want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment 
And this morning we're going to end our service a little differently than we normally do. But I want to begin this year as a church with a family prayer. An opportunity to bring our fears to the foot of the cross. And so right now, I want to ask everybody if you would just stand right where you're sitting. Just stand up to your feet. And remain in a spirit of prayer. But I want to invite you to to join hands as a family. You can join hands hands across the aisles. Act like you like each other. It's okay. But we're going to pray. We're going to pray a closing prayer today that this will be, not only for us collectively as a church, but for us individually year of living fearlessly, living in the peace of God's perfect love. Let's pray together. Father, this morning we thank you for the reminder, and God, for some here, maybe the the first time information that you are a God of perfect love, that you are the God of peace. And so, Father, this morning, we surrender our hearts and our minds. We surrender, God, our fears to your perfect love. God, as we go out from this place today to be your church, it's our prayer that we would reflect you clearly and accurately, powerfully and beautifully, and yes, God, lovingly, everywhere we go this week. God, I pray your blessings over every person in this room. We ask that you would move as only you can in us and through us this year. We ask this prayer in the name of Jesus who makes it possible. And everybody said, amen. Happy 2016. We'll see you next week.